morning, everybody. Oh, there you all are. It's good to see you guys. Hey, I just want to take a really quick moment before I dig into what I plan to do and do something unplanned. And that is to, I just think that, um, I think that when Kara was talking, that there was some joy that was released in the room. And I just want to bless that. So would you close your eyes with me for a minute? Lord, we just thank you for the joy <laughs> that you offer us. Thank you that your joy is our strength. And I just release your joy in the room right now for everybody that needs an extra dose, which is everybody. And we just thank you that you're so faithful. You're so faithful. So more of your joy, Lord, more of your joy. In Jesus' name, amen. That was great, wasn't it? I mean, her story, not what I just did. That was good, but hey, my name is Joe, and I'm crying already, and it's uh, the first minute, so here we are. Welcome to Vineyard Covington. We are uh, really happy to be with you today. I'm happy to be with you. I've been gone a little bit. Um, last month, I was traveling a lot. Um, and I'm going to briefly mention a little bit about that this morning. But a big theme that we have been walking through together in the past month or so is the theme of transformation. And with that in mind, Romans 12, 1 and 2 has come up kind of a lot. And if you don't know what those verses say, here's my quick paraphrase of what Paul was saying, because he wrote it to some Roman Christians. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And part of the reason behind that at the time when he wrote it, and today is, is the world is a transformation machine, or a formation machine, I should say. I don't know if you know this, but the world is forming you and me all the time. Here's a quick example. When I was, I was in London a couple weeks ago with, uh, an, for an Alpha event. By the way, if you don't know what Alpha is, talk to me later if you've got some time. Anyway, I noticed kind of a small thing that happened while I was in London. And maybe you know this. Everybody walks on the left side of the street. Did you know that? It's a thing. And so for the first couple of days, I was kind of like, you know, dodging people awkwardly as I pranced down the street. <laughs> and it was just a little weird. I think maybe it's because they drive on the left side of the street and we drive on the right, also known as the correct side of the street. That's right. Anyway, I adjusted. And by the end of the week, I was pretty much a left side of the street walker. It just kind of happened. I bet if I'd have spent more time there, it would have been even more formed in me. <laughs> I've also heard this about New York City. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but if you become a resident of New York City, or even if you go on a long trip there, the pace of your walking increases. You walk faster because everybody around you is walking faster. Did you know that? So if the world is forming us in subtle subconscious ways like that, how else are we being formed by the world? Probably a lot of ways, right? And as we develop a way of life that we can invite our city into, what does it looked, look like to be transformed and renewed by Jesus? And if you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus yet, 
today, I think that this is pretty compelling stuff anyway. Because I think we all want to be formed in different ways. We want to be better husbands and wives and parents and friends and siblings and coworkers and all those things. And being formed in the way of Jesus does that for us as we follow him. But it starts with knowing where we are in order to know where we're going. I always like to think of the old maps in the mall. This is aging me and dating me. Where you see, oh, this is where I am, and there's the Apple store. So I got to know where I'm at to know where I'm going. And two weeks ago, Tyler talked about being transformed through tuning ourselves more to the music of heaven. If you didn't hear that message, I'd encourage you to look it up on YouTube or to subscribe to the V-Cub podcast. That's right, we got a podcast. I know, I got a woo out of it. I'll take it. He shared a great prayer practice with us a couple weeks ago. It was a practice of releasing and receiving. Do you remember what it looked like? It was palms down to release, palms up to receive. And we took some time. I watched it online. I know I wasn't in the room. Anyway, so that simple practice is a formational practice. And speaking of receiving, it's a big part of where I want to go today. So I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then we'll dive in, all right? So Jesus, we thank you for your presence here. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in the room. Thank you for all that you're doing already. We ask for more. Pray that you open open hearts and minds to what you want to say through me, and just help me not to get in the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So here's something I want to emphasize. This is really important. If you hear one thing from me today, let it be this. Ready? You are a beloved child of God in whom he is well pleased. Full stop. (laughs) You are a beloved child of God in whom he is well pleased. Now, whether you're believing that at a 10 of 10 today or a 2 of 10, it's true. Okay? So this is the main point. So we're all done. Thanks for coming, everybody. The truth is that the most important thing about that statement is that it's said to us by our Father in heaven. Not by me, but by our our God. And to help us today, I want to look into the Bible. And so would you open up your Bible to Mark chapter 1 with me? And as you do that, I just want to like kind of give you a little Mark context here before we get started looking at this passage. So um, the book of Mark is written, I know, by a guy named Mark, or he may have been John Mark, and he's mentioned a handful of times throughout Scripture in the New Testament. It was most likely uh, information that he received about Jesus from the apostle Peter. He spent a lot of time with him. And it was most likely written to Roman Christians during a time of great persecution in 64 AD. And it's a biography, basically, the type of writing of Jesus. And I think what Mark wanted to let the Christians reading it better understand was not only Jesus' calling, but also that power and suffering were a huge part of his life as he entered into conflict with the powers of evil. And that community and this community need to be reminded of who Jesus was 
in how his ministry progressed so we can be reminded that we're part of something bigger. And that when we dedicate our lives to him, we follow him on that path. And that's been a theme today already, right? Like joy and sadness, suffering and celebrating. Power is a huge part of Jesus's ministry. Okay, let's look at this text. It's Mark 1, 9 through 13. It's going to come up on the screen as well. I'm going to read it to you from the NIV. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and angels attended him. Okay. Mark can pack a lot into four verses, you guys. There's a ton of things happening here. He's very succinct and to the point, and I really appreciate that about his writing. But there's three things that I want us to kind of zone in on as we spend the rest of our time together today. And the first one is, Jesus leaves home. The second one is, Jesus is baptized. And the third one is, Jesus goes to the wilderness to be tested. Boom, boom, boom. Got it? That's our path. All right, first, Jesus leaves home. This isn't a major part of the story. Can we keep the verse up? I'm sorry, I didn't say that. Just keep it up there so we can glance at it. Um, Jesus leaves home, and it says very simply that he leaves Nazareth. He was from Nazareth. I'm not trying to tell you this is the first and only time he left Nazareth, but it was a significant one because it was the start of his public ministry. And I think we could agree that this was a new season of identity for Jesus. And identity is a main theme today for us as we think about these three steps for Jesus. Do you remember the first time that you left home? Maybe you were going to college or just got a place with your buddies. Uh, Whatever it was, it was a defining step forward in your life, wasn't it? The identity that you had and was formed in you from the world, from your parents, from your friends, was something that you took with you, and yet, you kind of were a free agent in some ways. I don't know about you, when I left home, I thought it was going to be so great, because I didn't have a curfew anymore, I didn't really have to clean up that much, but, you know, I didn't have as much good food around either. Laundry was a bit of an issue. But it was a new step forward in my identity. And so Jesus steps out and leaves home after 30 years of kind of being below the radar. We don't know a whole lot about his life until this point. And I wonder, this step into a new season of identity, I wonder how he may have felt. Okay, second step. Jesus is baptized. So Jesus leaves home, and according to Mark, he heads straight for John, his cousin. 
to be baptized in the Jordan River. And he steps forward. And in this moment, John's mind is kind of blown. He's like, you, I can't baptize you. You have to baptize me. Are you even kidding? Mark doesn't tell us that, but we get it from other gospels. And the reason was is that John was offering a baptism of repentance from sin. Jesus didn't need that, did he? So John's like, this is not how, this is not what I'm doing here, exactly. So why did Jesus get baptized? I, I mean, there's a lot of good answers and reasons for this. It doesn't get spelled out in the scriptures for us. So we're left with some guesses. But people smarter than me have guessed that this might have been a way for him to identify with us uniquely. He definitely did that later on the cross when he took on our sin. But even now, we can look at the baptism experience and think, well, if Jesus did it, maybe I should do it. Maybe it is an important step. And even though he had no sin, that identity and that identification with us is really important. He continually and consistently made himself nothing to connect with you and with me, didn't he? This is just what he does. He's a great model. And as Tyler mentioned, we're doing baptisms in March. And so if you have not done that yet, or if you've just gone through a season of life where you've recommitted in a major way, I want to invite you to get baptized because it's going to be like the best party ever. It's an outward expression of an inward reality. It's like, it's not like when this happens, you're suddenly going to be okay in God's eyes. You always are. But you get to do this in front of people in a public way and say, Jesus is Lord. And it is powerful. So get baptized if you haven't. Anyway, Jesus talks him into it. And then immediately, Mark says, a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. That might sound familiar. You are my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. So what's going on here? There's a lot of things, so I'm glad you asked. First of all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all present. That's kind of rare in the Bible. There's not a whole lot of those instances. Gives it a little more uh, specialness. And also, here's some extra credit. You ready for extra credit? You're like, not really. The words from the Father are tied to earlier parts of the biblical story. So if you want to dig into Psalm 2-7 or Isaiah 42-1, there are other expressions or words that the Father uses here as well. Okay? But I want to hone in on Mark 1.11. And we've got some different translations of it that are going to come up. Because, like I said, this is the main theme as we think about identity. So there's three here that I want to highlight. The first is from the New Living Translation. And it says, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. The message paraphrase says, you are my son, chosen and marked by my love, pride of my life. 
And the common English Bible translation says, you are my son whom I dearly love, and you I find happiness. Pretty good, right? Joy, happiness, love. This is the father's heart for his son. And by the way, it's his heart for you. This is his heart for you. No matter what. Jesus loves you the same today as he did on your worst day. Did you know that? His love has never wavered for you. In you, he finds great joy and happiness. And what happens here, I think in a lot of ways, it's easy to see, the father anoints or affirms the identity of Jesus, doesn't he? And Jesus receives this truth and it empowers him to step into what is next. It says the spirit ascended like a dove. And I know that wasn't the first interaction with the Holy Spirit for Jesus, but it was a pretty important one. He was filled with the Holy Spirit in a way to empower him. And it's really the second part of this identity affirmation. The father says it. Are you ready to receive it? I'm like asking you. Are you ready to receive this truth? I am on some days. Some days it's harder for me. But Jesus receives it. It's a huge identity moment. And when you and I step out into the world every day, the world tries to tell us who we are, doesn't it? what we should do, how we should dress, what we should eat. Even the good things that the world tells us or people that we are around tell us aren't nearly as important as what God tells us. He tells us who we are more and above everything else. And then Jesus is driven to the wilderness to be tested or tempted So Mark says, at once the Spirit sent him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. So no honeymoon period after the baptism. No potluck dinner at the basement of the church for Jesus after his baptism. We'll have a big party for yours next month. It'll be way easier. You won't get driven to the wilderness, I promise. (laughs) But it's funny here because the Spirit forcefully compels Jesus here. He like, this is almost kind of violent. The verb that's used in the Greek is called ekbalo, which is also used in Mark when Jesus exercises unclean spirits from people. Crazy, right? The same verb is used. So he was forcefully compelled by the Holy Spirit to go into the wilderness. And I think that you could agree the Spirit drives us into places of conflict sometimes as we are the agents of Jesus in the world after we receive the identity he has for us. Are you seeing this process? Father says, I love you. We say, thank you, I receive it. And then he's like, all right, step into the battle. (laughs) It's just life. And isn't it interesting that right after our identities are often affirmed, 
that something difficult happens. Have you ever had this experience? You have this moment where it's like, oh my gosh, God, you're so good. I can't believe this is happening to me. Finally, it's the mountaintop. I can see clearly. And then two days later, something really bad happens. And it's like, wait a minute, was that real? (laughs) Why are things so hard? Why am I being tested? Why do I feel like I'm in the wilderness all of a sudden after I just had this moment? I know I have. So Jesus is in the wilderness, and Mark doesn't mention it, but we know from Matthew's account that he was not eating during this time. He was fasting. Jesus chose to put aside the comforts of the world in order to better prepare for this time of testing. And he does it for 40 days. It was a significant period of time that's uh, throughout the Bible. I I had them all listed, and then I'm like, I'm not going to say all those. More extra credit. 40 days is often synonymous with testing in Scripture, or 40 years. It's also the period of time of the Lenten season, which Tyler mentioned earlier today. And we step into that this week, starting on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday, and it's a time that Christians throughout history have fasted or abstained from something in order to sacrificially walk with Jesus to follow in his footsteps, to journey with him during this season as we prepare to celebrate his resurrection on Easter. So start thinking about how do you want to step into that journey with Jesus during Lent this year? Is there something that God is calling you to lay down for a season to get closer to him or to pick up for a season to get closer to him? Think about that. So we're in the wilderness, and Satan is tempting and testing Jesus. And I don't know if you've recognized this or not, but he centers in on his identity. He says things like, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread, because I know you're hungry. He says, if you are the son of God, jump off this temple and just have the angels catch you. He questions his identity. Have you ever had this happen to you? Have you had a voice in your head question your identity? Things like, if you're a Christian, you know, you say you're a Christian, right? Why do you lie sometimes to your friends? Or the voice might say, if you're truly a follower of Jesus, why did you have that extra drink last night? Come on. Or if God is really proud of you and loves you, then why didn't he heal that family member of yours? These are the voices and the subtle jabs of the enemy. These are not the words of our Father who says that you are loved. But it's part of this battle that we're in. It's part of this um, attempted theft of our identity. The enemy wants us to believe something different, doesn't he? So how should we respond? I'll get back to that. Finally, I want to look at um, the last line of verse 13 for a second. It says, he was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Have you ever wondered about the wild animals there? I have. I don't exactly know why. 
they're mentioned. But again, people a little smarter than me have suggested that it might represent a future taste of God's kingdom where we're at peace with wild beasts. Kind of like it was for Adam and Eve in the garden. Maybe. And when the angels attended him, I don't know what that looked like specifically. Again, Mark is of few words here. But I can imagine, and so would you imagine with me for a minute that the angels are coming alongside a hungry, battle-weary Jesus and whispering things in his ear like, you are the Son of God. In you the Father is pleased. Can you imagine that? That feels like a good way to attend to somebody. <laughs> to remind him of who he is after he's just been barraged with attack. To re-engage and help him reconnect. Do you need to be reminded of how the Father sees you and his love for you today? I know I do. I want to tell a story next. I've got a great picture to share with it, if you'll put it up on the screen. Yeah. I just want to point out something here. This is uh, my freshman basketball team. And there's some people in the room that were on this team. Uh, number four is Jesse Carpenter. <laughs> uh, number 11 with a great knee brace, Grant Dawson. And that is me, number three, putting my hand up to make this an outtake. So I bring this up because I'm reminded of a time in my life when I was 16 years old, so a little bit after this. And at this point in my life, my identity had been shaped and formed by sports. It was my everything. I loved basketball the most. And I would go hard after it during the season. I went to summer camps in the off season. It was what I wanted to do for a really long time or however long my talent could take me. And then the start of my senior year, a few years after that beautiful picture, <laughs> we got a new coach at my high school. And after being with this coach during the preseason at the start of the regular season, I really thought I had him pegged. I thought, this guy doesn't care about me or my future or the other seniors. He only cares about the young guys on our team. And that probably wasn't true, if I'm being honest. But I was so convinced, and so were some of the other seniors, that one day during practice, we ran out of the gym and quit the team together, five of us. It was like our moment, right? Like we're going to make our voice heard. And I found myself alone after that and without a chunk of the identity that the world had formed in me. I still thought I made the right decision. So I was okay, but it didn't feel great. <laughs> but what I remember being the hardest thing is that I had to tell my dad. And... You guys know my dad. Dad, you're probably watching on the live stream. Uh, he's a great dude. He never made me play basketball. He never told me I was defined by my success or failures in sports. Never once. But for some reason, there was still something in me that thought, 
I have to tell him this, and this is going to be really hard, and what if it changes the way he sees me? I don't think I knew that at a conscious level, but there was, that was the hesitation in my heart. And I remember telling him and being moved to tears, which at that time in my life was not as common as it is now. <laughs> and I just remember, I don't remember him say what he said. I just remember him loving me right where I was. I remember feeling his love for me at a core level that was way more important than anything I ever did or didn't do. It's a similar love with how you feel for your kids if you have them, right? All I had to do was receive it. All I had to do was receive that truth. And I think I did for a moment and probably set it aside. And then maybe I did again and set it aside. And this is kind of the cycle that we fall into, isn't it? So I mentioned a little earlier when we were talking about, um, we can get rid of that now. <laughs> when we were, I know it's like hard not to keep looking at, I get it. Um, I wanna make this practical for a minute and then uh, we're gonna step into a time of prayer ministry after another worship song. But first, this is our practice for today. Are you ready? We're gonna memorize scripture together. You're just like, finally, I was waiting for that. Don't worry, it's really easy. Can we put this up on the screen? It's from 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Look how easy this is. I even left a couple words off to make it more simple. This is from the New Living, and uh, this is how we're going to memorize it, because this is foolproof. We're going to read it out loud together three times. I just decided that that's what works. We'll see. Ready? Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. There's an exclamation point there. I know. Don't worry, you'll get it this time. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Oh, that was better. All right, last time. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You got it. That was so good. This is true. Anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone has become a new person. Some of us need to step into this every day and be reminded of our new identity in Jesus that the Father has affirmed over and over again at a core level. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up right now. And we're going to do one more song together. And I have a, a small assignment for you during this song, okay? Well, there's two parts. First of all, worship. Okay, part two, I want you to just simply ask God how he sees you during this song and let him answer. Don't put your own words in. <laughs> You'll know the difference. If it's loving and affirming, it's from him. If it's not, release it. <laughs> it might take a minute. 
So during this song, worship our king and ask God how he sees you. Sound good?